Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be with you. I have to say this from time to time. People that know us know Sean and I like to pick on each other a little bit, and our love language is a little joke here and there. I think, amen, see? I thank God for you. I thank God for you and your ministry, and, uh, and, and you, you make this an incredible place. And I, and I love that this is a church that literally staffs people to let the world know it's okay to be broken in this place. It's okay to come in here broken. In fact, if you don't know the secret, we all are. <laughs> We're all a mess, including the one that's speaking to you right now. And so isn't it glorious to have a spiritual community where we can come as we are and watch God transform us by the power of his spirit? Thank you for the work you do, and thank you for being the church that you are. In fact, that fits what we've been talking about at the beginning of this year. We've been letting God tell us by listening, overhearing this book in the Bible called the book of Ephesians, where God looks his people in the eye in the first century and tells them who they are and why they're here. And we wanted to overhear that and let the Spirit of God, who inspired the book in the first place, to inspire us as we listen to it again and say, God, who are we? Who are we in this world and why are we here in this place? And We've literally gotten halfway through, if you're just joining us, the book of Ephesians is six chapters and the first three really lean in on just telling us who we are in Christ. And then we are now pivoting to the second half where Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, will unpack what does it look like to live out of that identity. And so we're going to look at that and read it. And honestly, the way I want to do it, hopefully this is true every week, but especially today, as you'll see, I want to worship through this text, not to preach it, just to preach it. So we'll talk about it some. We're literally going to worship through the text as well, more on that in a moment. But if you have your Bibles or your devices that you read on, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. I'll skip a little bit in the middle, but we'll read the, the first 16 verses. This is the word of the Lord from the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. Quotes the Old Testament. Let's skip down to verse 11. So what is the gift? So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service until, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I know you know this, but from time to time, we all have moments of self-delusion. Right? We all have these times when, when the picture that we see of ourselves doesn't quite capture the reality of what's going on in the circumstances or in the world. We all have self-deluded moments. We all have moments where we're a little less self-aware than we ought to be and a reality check might be helpful to us. Reading a blog and a lady was talking about just in everyday, ordinary life, some of the experiences she saw where other people were kind of falling prey to a little bit of self-delusion. She talked about a guy who went to a coffee shop one time and he, he was going to sit there and drink his coffee and work for a little bit and, 
And he got the coffee and they gave it to him in a, in a little paper to go cup. And he blew up at the staff. He blew up at him. He said, look, <clears throat> I'm sitting here drinking it here. You should have given it to me in a here mug. Because now this is going to ruin the environment. I got this paper cup and I don't even need it. And he got so mad, he blew up at him and he demanded that they give him a mug to sit in there. And they gave him a mug and he took the cup, the paper cup, poured the coffee into it. And guess what he did with the cup? There are two trash receptacles, right? One is recycling. The other is landfill. Guess what he did? He threw it away in the landfill thing. Little moment of self-deception. All right, think about the lady who took the time to give a review of a restaurant. And she went out of her way to kind of, you, you know, dog this restaurant at a scale of one to five. She gave it one star and then commented on it. And her great critique, you ready for it, is that she had to pay for her meal. Now, she's not a celebrity, and there was nothing wrong with a meal. But as she texted it out, this is what she said. She said, I, I'm, I'm doing this because she actually believed that she was entitled to a free meal because she was giving them free advertising on her Instagram. <laughs> Moments of self-delusion that we have. My favorite one was a lady that went to Costco. And she was getting irate because she was waiting in this long line. And she was waiting there and she was screaming out loud again and again the same thing. You ready for what she was saying? She said, but I'm a member here. It's Costco. What's wrong with that? <laughs> you know who else was a member? Everybody else in line with her, right? We have these moments of incredible self-delusion. And I say this because let's be really honest. If you've listened to what we've talked about the last several weeks, Maybe you're not like this. Maybe you're totally confident in your identity in Christ. <clears throat> I'm just telling you, my struggle is I can hear the things we talked about and I can look in the mirror and say, hold on, this sounds like self-delusion. Do you remember what God has said that we are for the first three chapters of the book? Just, just remind yourselves of this. Chapter one, you are chosen for a purpose and not just any purpose, for a cosmic purpose in the world. You're chosen for a purpose. You are extravagantly rich in Christ. Not materially necessarily, but you are incredibly rich. The Bible says you are alive in ways you never thought imaginable. You belong and you're connected in ways that you did not realize. And last week we said you are able in Christ and only in Christ, but in Christ you are able to do abundantly more than you ever asked or dreamed. All of that sounds incredible, but if you're like me at all, I will hear all that and in my head say, yes, God, I know it's true, but in my heart, I feel like it is a self-delusion because I don't know about you, but I don't feel that way a lot of the time. Have you ever wrestled with this? Just think about some of the things we talked about. God says you're chosen for a purpose. Don't you have certain days sometimes you say, well, yeah, I was chosen for a purpose, but why is it that I actually feel so directionless and in a fog sometimes in my life? God, God says, you are alive in every possible way. Well, why is it that I feel so dead inside sometimes? Why do I feel so lifeless, like I'm just going through the motions at times? You are rich, God says. You are extravagantly rich. Why is it that I feel like I'm spiritually bankrupt at times? You are able to do more than you ever ask or imagine. Why is it that I feel so powerless sometimes? And you go down the list. Do you struggle with that sometimes? Or we feel like, ah, oh, this, this is one of those places I want to have a reality check. I hear everything God says, but I don't feel like I experience it that way. That's one of the reasons Paul writes the second half of the book. Because he doesn't want to just tell you who you are. He wants to encourage us and invite us to actually experience that identity in our everyday lives. So we're going to let God give us some wisdom about how do we move from this, yeah, I heard it, to actually experience and live it out. And a way to think about this section of the book is inviting us to think in terms of the riches of the life that we have and identity we have in Christ. 
And Paul, in the first verse here, he calls us to live this out in a way where we're actually living out the calling and identity that we've been given in Christ. Now, follow me on this. We've been told all these things, but now he says what I want to encourage you to do is actually live that out, to act it out, to experience the identity actively in your lives. Here's the language he gives specifically in the first verse, which I believe is actually kind of the thesis statement for the rest of the book. He's going to talk specifics about specific ways to, to walk and to live in our lives. But this is the overarching verse that takes everything we've said before and then launches us in to the different areas of our lives that we're invited to live it out. But this is what he says. Live in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. That's what it says. In fact, literally, it says it this way. Walk. Walk the journey of your life. Walk in a manner worthy. Hear the language of the weightiness and, and the riches. Hear the, 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 the extravagant riches of God's life. Live or walk in a manner worthy of the calling and identity by which you have been called by God. Paul says, I invite you not just to hear about it, not just to think about it, not say, wasn't that a neat little bumper sticker that we can say, but actually to live it out. We started this school year and the rhythm this school year back in the fall with a look at the book of Exodus. And we saw that as a spiritual journey for the people of God. And again and again, the Bible will use that metaphor. We are invited to walk out our lives with God in such a way the identity he gives us will increasingly show up in our lives. And that's what Paul's language is here. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, if you're like me, I can read a verse like this and, and immediately move to legalism. You can move to guilt trips, right? Oh, live this way or else. No, Paul is saying, no, no, I'm not commanding anything. He uses this language. I'm urging you. I'm begging you to live out the identity we've been talking about. It is a relational calling that we're invited to experience. It's not a rule that we check a box on the list. Here's a way to think about it. This is so important for us to understand. The reason Paul has to say it this way is we know this in our own lives and we've seen it in Scripture. Here's the thing. You can have an identity. You can be in a relationship and in a situation, but you can not, it's also possible to have all of that and yet not experience it. It's possible to have, Paul says, these are not things you have to work hard to do and then you get it and you, uh, God will, will give you this because you deserve it in some way. No, you are all these things. But here's the thing, it is possible to have this identity in Christ, this incredible identity in Christ, and yet not to experience the power and the wonder and the joy and the effect of that. Paul says, walk it out. I was reminded of this one time, I, was, I went to visit a friend of mine we were students together in our campus ministry uh, days, and, uh, and I went to stay at his house one time several years ago now. And the house was full of joy because they had just adopted a little girl from China. They had two biological children. They wanted one more child, and they decided, we're, we felt led by God. We're going to adopt this little girl from China. And, and he was telling me, Dean, you need to know this. He said, the first moment I laid eyes on her, we went to pick her up. First moment I laid eyes on her, he said, I felt the exact same love for her in that moment that I felt for both of my biological children when my wife gave birth to him. Basically, he's saying, look, I have no problem. It's easy for me to love this little girl. But he said, here's the problem. It's not easy for her to receive that love. You can imagine why, right? She had already in her short lifetime lived through several experiences that told her that whatever home was wasn't going to stay that way, right? So at least twice she was taken away from the home that she knew or understood first because her biological parents abandoned her at a pretty young age. And then secondly, even though she didn't understand this was ultimately a good thing. She was taken in by a foster family in China, which is a wonderful thing, but then she was taken from that home to come be adopted here in another country. And my friend told me, he said, first day we brought her home and I put her on my knee and I looked into her face. He said, she would not look me in the eye. Now you get this, don't you, right? 
unconsciously, even at a very young age, something inside of her said, don't you dare trust it, don't you dare believe it, because this home, this gift, will be taken away like all the rest. She couldn't have articulated it, but that's what was going on inside of her. He said even when he brought her to a place where the only thing she could look at was his face, he said, I could tell she was looking right past me. Listen to me, because this is enormous. Why does Paul write the second half of this book? Listen. It is possible to be in an entirely new country, to be adopted into a new family, and to be part of a love relationship that will never be taken away, and yet we don't experience or receive that gift. It's possible to have a heavenly father that says, I will never, ever let you go. But why is it we sometimes don't experience the riches of that relationship? Because like that little girl, we're looking past him and we're looking away from him and we don't dare to trust. Everything we talked about the last three weeks are true. And Paul said, not so with you. The invitation here, and I believe here's a way we can summarize what Paul does for the rest of this book. In fact, all of Paul's Christian ethic How do we live out the behavior of our life in Christ? I think it can be summarized this way. And it seems so simple, but if you follow me, it's really powerful. This is what what Paul essentially says. Live like you are connected. Live like you're actually connected, listen to me, to God and to the people of God. Paul says, live like you are what we just said you were for the last three chapters. In fact, he goes on. He can't even get into the living without going back to who you are again. How many times in that little text that we read, do you hear the word one, unity, or all? One Lord, one faith, one God and Father of all, one baptism, one hope to which you were called. We are united. He said, the Holy Spirit of God is united in your body. Live like you're connected. Why? Because you are. (laughs) Paul says, if you want to know how to live with power in your life, he says, live like you are connected to the father and creator of the universe, because you are. Live like you are connected to the son of God who gave his life, died, but did not stay dead, because you are. Live like you are connected to the Holy Spirit of the living God who gifts and empowers the people of God. Live like you're connected to him, because you are, and live like you're connected to each other, because you are inseparably United in the body of Christ. Live that out. Paul's invitation to experience all of these things. Here's what I think about. Again, he will get into specifics in the rest of the book. Let's just do a quick look at how this plays out. You can think about any struggle you have in your life. If you apply this vision to it, it will give you power to walk it out. Not legalism, not performance. You're already in Christ, if you are. Here's what he says. Here's a way to think about it. Um, There's a phenomenal book that Richard Foster wrote a while back called The Challenge of the Disciplined Life. And what he does in this book is he takes three of the major obstacles that get in the way of our hearts being fully surrendered to God and unpacks it. What are three of the major ways that we can, we can um, get, you know, surrender to something else instead of God? He talks about these three things, three sections of the book, money, sex, and power. There are the things that get in the way. By the way, all three of these are incredible gifts. The problem is not those things. The problem is taking those gifts and getting in the way of the creator and the giver of the gift. And we put them on a higher plane than they ought to be. So he unpacks it in this book. Think about for a moment, how does Paul deal in his churches with these three issues that they struggled with just like we do today? Just really quickly, think about this. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, if you want to go look at how Paul speaks to a church about money, right? It's shocking to me. It's powerful to me how Paul talks to a church there about living generosity in your lives like the God you were created by and how different it is the way churches will talk about money today. This is what he does. Go look at chapter 8 and 9. This is what he says. He says, he do, well, important to say what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, look, give money and tithe or you're going to hell. That's not what he says. This is what he says. Give like you are connected to the one, and I quote, who even though he was rich, he became poor for your sake so that through his poverty you might become rich. How about that? 
Live like you're connected to that God who had everything but gave it so that you might get in on everything. And live like you're connected to the people that have that need. Isn't that powerful? Much better way to talk about money and generosity. What about sexuality? You think we have worship wars in our day? You know what they struggled with in this very letter in 1 Corinthians, some of the letters Paul wrote? Some of the worship practices in the first century that the pagans were coming out of is they had ritual prostitution. So people could go and engage with a prostitute and call it church. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with the deviant ways in which people were using their bodies then? How do we struggle with that in our world today? This is what Paul said. He doesn't say, look, if you engage your bodies outside of the covenant bonds of marriage, you're going to hell. That's not what he says. Go read 1 Corinthians 6. This is what he says. Your members of your body are united to the resurrected Christ. So he said, when you walk into that prostitute, you aren't just walking in alone. You're walking in with the Son of God himself. And do you want to bring God into that? Hear me, hear me, hear me. That is not a guilt trip. It is a vision for power. He also goes on to say, you're affecting the entire body, not just your body. It's the body of Christ. Don't ever let anybody tell you your sins and struggles are personal and individual. It is your own consensual choice. It is not true because you are connected to each other. And what we do in our bodies affects everybody. Not guilt. It is vision and power. Paul says, live like you're connected to the God of the universe and each other. Lastly, what does he do with power itself? To churches that were struggling with people who were misusing and exploiting and abusing power, he wrote this incredible thing in the book of Philippians. He did not say, now go and serve with your power or you're going to hell. What did he say? Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ because you're connected to this Christ who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited to his own advantage, but made himself nothing and became a servant. How's that for living out your power? And listen, you can do it for anything in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit of God to say, can you connect what I'm struggling with with the fact I'm connected to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I'm connected to other people? It changes the vision for the way that we live our lives. And the reason sometimes we feel spiritually bankrupt is because we have forgotten who we are and we're not living out and walking out the identity, listen to me, we already have in Christ. Now God stays with us, right? Just like my friend with his little girl. He sent me a picture not terribly long after that it's a picture of his daughter from China. And she was rolling around in the arms of her brother and her sister, happier than she's ever been. Do you know why? Because she now knows and believes who she is. And she knows she is inseparably connected to a father and mother who desperately love her, will not let her go. And she's connected to brothers and sisters who have a family that she does not have to ever leave again. And God says, live like you know that's true spiritually and you will be rich. Now we're going to talk just very briefly about the end, the second half of the text we read. But what I want us to do is to actually taste the message that we just preached. In fact, God gives us the opportunity every week not to check a box, but to remember in our very bodies that you are connected to the king of the universe and you are connected to each other. So we're going to take communion now and we're going to do it a little bit differently. As Sean said, we're going to do it like we did a few times before communion. By the way, if you don't like things different, I, I get it. That's okay. And next week we'll do it the normal way. Okay, so no, we'll, we'll go back to that. Here's part of the motivation for it though and, and this is my own experience, sometimes I forget, just look at that word for a minute, I forget the communion was intended to be communal, right? I grew up in a setting where I, you know, nobody even said this, it just kind of happened where I thought the point of communion was for me to sit silently and quietly alone with me and Jesus. And it was a beautiful personal meditation time. Now let me be quick to say, that's okay to do it, wonderful to do that, but it was never designed for that. It is communion. <laughs> we're intended to commune like we're connected 
to God and each other. And you know this, right? Because the meal that we now know as the Lord's Supper came out of a almost day-long meal. It was an edible Bible study called the Passover. They ate. When Jesus instituted it, he didn't do it in a little kind of quick little appetizer. He did it as part of a meal. And in fact, the early church had these things, maybe you've heard this before, called agape feasts. Go read 1 Corinthians. They distorted it a little bit, but they had Oh, I'm just going to put my little plug in here for it. I would call it a potluck. (laughs) And they would have a potluck together. They would have a meal together. And as part of the meal, there were these symbolic elements that were taken during this thing we call communal communion. Now, here's the thing. When I first kind of really realized this and studied it, I overcorrected. I'm just going to be honest. And so I would say, look, communions tend to be communal. So you've got to be communal. Well, that's ridiculous. Okay, we've for centuries, we have meditated, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you hear me? So if that's what God is calling you today to do, is to kind of reflect and be meditative on it, that's okay. It's really okay, because we're, we are doing that together. But I do think it's appropriate from time to time to do communion in ways that reminds us that we belong to each other and we're communal. Does that make sense? So... Today, we're going to do a little bit more family style. We're going to do it two different ways to kind of remind ourselves of that. One is going to be family style. And so it's just as simple as this. When we're done with prayers, we invite you to go up to the table. And it might be as simple as just speaking a word of encouragement to somebody. Just speaking something. I had, I had like a minute-long conversation with two different people in the first service, and it filled my day. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that, but that's one way to do it. You might pray with some people in your family, or you might take it down to your seat and pray with somebody. It, we're going we're gonna to weave in family prayer time to this as well. So elders and your wives, you can start making your ways to some spots too, and, and ministers and your spouses. So if you want to go and just pray with somebody, we're going to let this be a time to pray and interact, all right? One other way we're going to do it communally, you know from time to time, I like to just, like, if you've ever bought a card for somebody instead of just hand wrote it, then you know we do this. Sometimes other people's words are more powerful than our own. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to lead ourselves together in words leading up to this meal that have been used for centuries. We're going to start with the words of institution from Scripture, and we're going to end by praying together the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, called the Lord's Prayer, right? And so we're going to read some words, uh, and I'm going to put that up there, and we're going to, we're going to pray into that, and then you can go to the tables. Make sense? So even if you're meditating personally, we are going to commune together, even in our language that we are praying as we go to the meal. Does that make sense? Okay. By the way, if, uh, if you can't get up or something or you, you need uh, somebody to bring some elements to you, just kind of, we've got Steve and some others will be looking. So just either make contact with them or just tap somebody in a row and say, hey, would you mind grabbing that for me? Okay. So now if you would just follow me in this and pray. Uh, the words in white I will read. And again, most of them are scripture or coming from scripture. And there'll be two places where it'll be in yellow inviting you to pray as well. The second one is the Lord's Prayer itself. So let's hear this as a prayer as we lead to communion time. On the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he'd given thanks to you, God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in the remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim together the mystery of our faith. Say this with me. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, recalling his death, resurrection, and ascension. We offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, the holy food and drink of new and unending life in him. Sanctify us also that we may faithfully receive this holy meal and serve you in unity, constancy and peace and at the last day bring us with all your saints into the joy of your eternal kingdom all this all this we ask through your son jesus christ by him and with him and in him in the unity of the holy spirit all honor and glory is yours almighty father now and forever amen
And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Pray this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please come to the table. just the way it is. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. You're the only God. can contend. You're the only God whose name and praise will never end. You're the only God who's worthy of everything we can give. You are God, and that's just the way it is. You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne, you are God alone, and right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, you are God alone, you're unchangeable, unchangeable, unshakable, unshakable, unstoppable, unstoppable.
If you guys are praying right now, you can continue to do that. You don't feel like you have to rush. Thank you for letting us experiment with different ways to share our common meal together. So thank you for that. It's been a beautiful experience for me both times. Uh, Very briefly, what I want to do here at at the second half of this, again, I said this week I really want to take this classic passage and not just preach through it, but literally worship through it. So we've done that in communion. I want to do it a slightly different way for this, this second little part. So the first part talks about our identity in Christ and our connectedness in Christ. The second part of the passage talks about our giftedness in Christ. And here's the way I want to do it. I want us to let literally just, hopefully this happens every time, the Holy Spirit is the main preacher and will just shut out words that, 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 that I say that get in the way and all of that, but mostly speaks through the scripture. But this time I literally want to do that. Here's a way to do this. There's a couple different ways, several different ways to read the Bible. Sometimes we read for deep study and reflection. Sometimes we journal off of it. But there's a classic way of reading Scripture that goes way back. I I think I might have done this in here before, but I've certainly done it with our Bible class, with our leadership team before. And and I'm sure you you might have heard of this before. There's a way of reading that's known as sacred reading. The, uh, The Latin word, if you want to impress your friends, is called Lectio or Lexio Divina. Uh, you don't have to worry about that. But it's just a word that means sacred reading, like reading in such a way that instead of just kind of speaking to our minds, it's getting deep inside of us. And so there's different ways of doing this. I'm just giving you a short version of it. But literally what I want to do for this second part of this text is I want to read it three times. I'm just going to read this text three times. Here's the invitation. First time, it's on the screen there too. The first time, just ask God to give you one word in the whole reading. And there's a time to study the whole thing. But is there one word that rises to the top. And I find if I'm reading scripture sometime and I need to, something to get inside of me, I'll just ask, Holy Spirit, what, what word do you need me to hear today? Let one word rise to the top. And when you hear that, don't worry about the rest. Just hold on to it. Gently in your mind, repeat it. We're just going to do this quickly. Just let it sink in for a moment. Then we'll read it a second time. The second time invites you to say, Holy Spirit, is there a phrase in here that you want me to hold on to, to grab? Now, it may or may not contain the word you heard the first time. Let the Spirit do his thing. It might, it might be the phrase in which that word sits. It may be a different one that grabs you this time. And again, gently just let it sink in for a moment. We're tasting the word of God. And then the last time I'll read it, literally just give you a few seconds, just whatever word or phrase sits there, whatever word or phrase grabs you, Simply in quiet, turn it in response to prayer to God, right? So it might be a wonderful promise and you just thank God for it. It might be something that you want to live into and incorporate in your life. It might remind you that word or phrase of someone that you care about and you turn it into a brief word of praise to God. This is a beautiful way to just be conversational with scripture and it's not a code book. It's a law book. It's, it's God speaking his heart to us. So is that fair? Does it work? All right, so let's do this. Uh, by the way, I invite you not to read it. I want you to put your Bibles down for me and just hear it. If it helps you to close your eyes, it's a good way to do this. Remember that Paul's words originally were heard before they were ever read. So listen for it. So this is a time of listening to the reading of Scripture. You can do this with your Bible apps and those kind of things too. So I encourage you, if you would, put your Bibles down. Just listen uh, to these three times. I'm going to read. I'll skip a little bit in there, but I'm going to read uh, um, the second half of this. Holy Spirit speaking this time. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect 
the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What word did you hear? Just let it, let it soak in you for a moment. Just hold on to that word in just a moment of worship with God. I'm going to read it again this time. Holy Spirit, give us a phrase. What phrase? What few words grab you this time? To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ gave himself. Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Just hold on to that phrase just for a moment. What phrase did you hear? And just hold it in your heart. Okay, I'm going to read it one more time. And whatever word or phrase sticks with you, just gently turn that into a prayer to him. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Just take a moment and turn that word or phrase into a prayer of response to God. Father, for this time. Amen. I suspect one of the best ways to really take the book in that we're doing is try doing what we just did there with other places in the book. Tackle some of the prayers and reflectively pray and read into them and see if it doesn't get in your soul. Now, very quickly, I want to finish by, by just reflecting on one piece that comes out of it for me in this, in this reading of it. I want us for a moment to notice the nature of the gift that Paul is talking about here. He says to each person, God, Christ has graced his body. It's a fancy word for gift. He's gifted the body. And then he goes on to describe the gifts in the body. He says in verse 7, each person has a gift. And then he goes on to give one of several places in the New Testament where there are lists of gifts. And in this one, in verse 11, he lists the leadership, the foundational leadership gifts in a church. By the way, all four or five, depending on whether the last one is one or two gifts, pastor, teacher, all four or five, I believe, 
you might take a different view, but I believe are all still active in the life of a church, a healthy church. You might say, hold on, apostle and prophet, just don't make it a capital A or a capital P and you'll get it. The word apostle just means sent out ones. So yes, there were special apostles that would never be replaced that followed Jesus and wrote scripture and all of that. There are also apostolic, extra local missionary type people that are being sent out all the time. This church does it all the time. So there are apostolic folks that, that can't be contained into one group. They want to go out and spread the word. There are also people that lowercase p, they're not writing scripture. They're prophets in the sense of the word. They're gifted by God. I've told you this before to speak SEC. Go look at 1 Corinthians 12. SEC, strength, encouragement, and comfort to other people. That's a spiritual gift and prophets still do it today lowercase p. We, the others we don't quibble with. We, for some reason, threw the first two out, but we, we get the others. Evangelists are those gifted by God to speak the word and the gospel to people who don't know it. And there are pastors or pastors and teachers who nurture and shepherd a flock. There are also people that teach and instruct in the way of God. These are leadership gifts. But here's the thing. If you're like me, anytime I hear somebody talk about spiritual gifts and I hear the different lists in the New Testament. I start thinking about those spiritual gift inventories. Have you ever taken one of those? You ever thought about these? Uh, where you can kind of do, it's like a Myers-Briggs for spiritual gifts and you kind of do this and it'll tell you, you know, what you're gifted in. Uh, that's a good tool, by the way. Those are helpful things for us to, what's one of many ways. I prefer the body of Christ to speak it to each other, but it's a helpful way to say, here's some gifts that I have and how I want to use it. The problem is, if that's the only way I think about spiritual gifts, I miss the point of what Paul's saying here, because that's not what he said the gift is. That's not what he said the gift is. Pay attention to it. He said the abilities are not the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You are. Did you catch this? Pay very close attention to the language. The abilities are not the gift. You are. What does he say? Verse 7, each, each person has been given a gift. Then in verse 11, it says... Here are the gifts that Christ gave the church. New Living Translation says it really clear. Here are the gifts that Christ gave the church. Listen, it says the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers. Hear me, this is really interesting. Did you catch the language? He does not say that the gift is evangelism. He said the gift is the evangelist. He didn't say the gift in this text is teaching he said the gift is the teacher. Did you catch that? And I think we can apply that even though it says it different ways to other lists. The gift is not just encouragement. It's the encourager and just go on down the list. Do you get this? The gift that God gives the church is the people in the church filled with the spirit of God with each gift that you have. And when it says each part does its work, we get filled up. Why is it? Again, to go back to our original question, that sometimes I'm rich, but I don't feel rich because I'm not receiving the gifts of the riches of the people of God that he's poured out into us. If you're not giving and sharing your gift, you're not going to hell. It's not a guilt trip. I'm just saying we're being robbed of the giftedness that God gave his church. You're the gift. Isn't that powerful? And God says, I want to encourage you to live worthy, weighty, significant, rich lives with the gifts that God gave you right where you are. And then we will experience the wonder that God intended for his people. I realized this one day, God just hit me over the head with this one time. I, I was going out to a place, I think I've told you about the place before, and I'm going to give you the full story now. It was a place that became so sacred and meaningful to me because you've got to understand this. I moved to Texas the first time when we moved from living 10 years in Charlottesville, Virginia. This is Thomas Jefferson's University. It's a beautiful place in Charlottesville, Virginia. And they would have every year in the springtime, they would have a dogwood festival at the end of the year. In the fall, they would have people that would fly in from all over the country to watch the leaves change colors. And I used to say, why in the world would you fly in and look at leaves, just walk outside of your house? And then I moved to Lubbock. And I understood. And I remember the first fall. And I'm not kidding, folks. I was starving for color in God's world. I was starving. There was a time I was like, I need this. And I went to the place. There's one place of uneven ground in all of love. It's called McKenzie Park. I went to this place and I was walking and I saw this tree. Now you can't quite see it, but if you look closely, you see it a little better than you did in first service. I know it ain't much, okay? <laughs> I was starving. And I'll tell you, right in the middle of the tree, you see it's red. 
And I know this sounds silly. God used this tree to fill my life on a regular basis. I'm looking at artists among us. You get it. You get what I'm talking about. And every fall I would go out there and without fail, this tree would somewhere in the middle or in the top, it would change colors just enough. It was just a little bit, fed me just a little bit. And I remember thinking on the day I was starving for God's colors in the world. What a coincidence it is that I walk out and see this tree. What a coincidence. And then one of the times that I made my journey around that lake, I kept walking and I saw this tree. It's a new one. You follow me on this. Follow me in this and you'll get this. What do you notice about this tree? It's not just a tree sitting there. What do you notice in the picture? You can talk to me. What do you notice? It's supported by these stakes. What does that tell you? Of course, you know this if you've ever been to Lubbock. None of the trees were born there. <laughs> They're not indigenous. <laughs> right? <laughs> the scientist among us is laughing the louder. But hear me, hear me. All of a sudden, I got it. It was not a coincidence or an accident that I saw the tree that I needed to see on that day. Why? Because somebody planted and staked it there so that people like me could see it when they needed to. Now, don't miss the point. Why are you here? You're not an accident. You're not an afterthought. And you're not insignificant. In this time, in this place, in this world, God planted you and he staked you here so that someone will come by and see the colors of God in your life in ways they could not see any other way. Isn't that glorious? If you do not believe me, listen to Jesus. In the message translation, it pops. You've read the Sermon on the Mount a thousand times. If you're like me, I can, I can not read it anymore because I'm reading it in my mind. Listen to this in the message. Matthew 5, verse 13. Let me tell you, Jesus says, why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Isn't that great? You're to help people taste God. But here's the one that got me on this day. Here's another way to put it, Jesus said. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors of the world. What does Jesus say? Why are you here? In all of your uniqueness, with all of your struggles and your pains and your triumphs, with all of your uniqueness, God says, I'm planting you and I'm staking you. Not just individually as a church. Why is this church here for a hundred years? It's not just some people who are courageous enough to start it in a classroom. God planted us here. Because a city and a community and a world needs to see the glorious kaleidoscopic colors of God in you. Live worthy of the glorious calling and identity you have received. In Christ. Father God, we celebrate you. You have taken us who are unworthy even of your love. You love us extravagantly and then you plant us in your world to display your glory. Let it be true among us. Let it be true among us. Tell us again who you are. Let us look you in the eye and receive the love that will never be taken away. Glorious resurrected name of Jesus, we pray. Let's go ahead and stand.